Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. read a story about a pastor. It was like in Christianity Today or something. I couldn't find it. But uh, this man would go to a local coffee shop to prepare his sermon every week. He kept very loose office hours. That was where he spent a majority of his time. And I think uh, he started to get this sense of, I could be doing more than sitting here. I am preparing. That's important. But I need to be a blessing to the people around me. And so he decided that while he was there and in and about the community, he should be praying for people. So he had a little plaque made, a little, you know, those little placards, and he would set up in his table, and he'd open up his computer, and he'd put out his placard, and it said, free prayer. And he would sit there, and he would prepare his messages, and no one ever showed up. No one ever asked for prayer. No one ever approached him. No one ever asked him what the placard was even about. He was a Lutheran pastor, and one day he had to do a funeral, so he wore his traditional black outfit with his white clerical collar, and on the way back, he had to stop and prepare for his sermon, so he sat down in the Starbucks, put out his free prayer sign. He says, I couldn't even start typing. There was already a line forming of people who clearly wanted to talk to me, who clearly wanted me to pray for them. What had changed? What had changed was the collar. They had seen that this man was wearing the uniform. They knew that he was not just, I'm going to use a funny, some weirdo out there asking to know everybody's business, but that he had authority and right to be doing what he was suggesting that they do with him. It wasn't until they understood his authority that they understood what he was there for and his role. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about the word priest, Maybe you have good connotations. Maybe you think of someone, like I just said, who wears a black outfit or a robe, clerical collar, someone who might wear an interesting hat or a big cross. Maybe it's a negative connotation. Maybe the idea of priest in your heart is something that is not good, that you don't want to think about because of what men in their flesh have done. This is something we shouldn't shy away from. It's something we need to talk about and address. Either way, the world has a severe misunderstanding about what it means to be a Christian New Testament priest of God. We, the church of God, here in Grace Bible Church, are a priesthood. Maybe this is something new for you. Maybe you've never heard this. Maybe you've never understood this. But the moment that we are saved, we are entered into a role. We are given authority, invested with something of an invisible collar. That collar signifies the idea of being yoked. And I've talked to some priests and pastors who wear these frequently, and yes, they are tight, and yes, they constantly remind them that they are being worn. That same idea should hold true in our own lives. We as Christians are yoked to Christ and are priests of a chosen priesthood. 
And so each day we must remember that we too, men and women, children of God, are wearing invisible collars. Holding to a proper understanding of this position in your life is really important because if you are thinking of yourself as just a consumer Christian, somebody who shows up on Sunday to watch me get up and preach because that's my God-given role, or looks to a certain person in their authority or in who, uh, whether or not they're paid staff or they're volunteers or they're dressed a certain way before you can approach them in order to get prayer, so on and so forth, you're going to misunderstand your God-given blessing as a priest of Jesus Christ. This truth gives us meaning for life, purpose for our church here at at Berkeley and Eggleston, and gives us authority as individual believers, authority that we often neglect to see. So today we're in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 10. We're really only going to focus on verses 4 uh, through 4 and 5 and 9 and 10. In the middle, Peter is actually referring to some Old Testament statements. I'll read them, but they will not be up here. So I want you to pay attention, get your Bibles out. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, this is what it says. As you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, listen, to be a holy priesthood. Apostle Peter is telling us that we are being built into a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, through Jesus Christ. Verse 6. Not going to be up here. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. We talked about this last week. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious though, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So a separation of peoples, one side and another. Peter goes on to say who we are in verse 9. But you, me, us, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So twice in this passage, in these four verses, really, 4, 5, 9, 10, Peter declares that we are a priesthood. So let's look at some of the aspects of what that means, because this is probably new for some of you. The idea that you are a priest of God is something you may have never heard about. So let's look at that. The first thing, first lesson for this morning is our priesthood is spiritual. Our priesthood is spiritual. What do I mean by that? The priesthood is not a human institution. When we look to the church, a Catholic church, or other organized denominations, or even other religions that have a priesthood, we see a human institution. We see this physical front, okay? And that is what the focus is when we consider those ideas, but we're not like that. You can't tell us apart from anybody else. Looking at us, we're not wearing special clothes. We're not wearing an outward clerical collar. We're not wearing a big cross. We're not to, we are different because our priesthood is spiritual. It's something in here. Our role as priests and priestesses of Jesus Christ is a heart role. It's motivated by the Spirit, and it's only there that it can be seen. Martin Luther 
the reformer, held this idea, this doctrine of the priesthood of believer very strongly as a result of passages like this in 2 Peter. He said that each Christian is vested with authority, that each Christian has the right and responsibility to be mediating, standing in the gap between the world and Jesus Christ. They have a responsibility to make intercession in their prayers. They have a responsibility to be declaring the praises of God to people who have never heard it. Never heard it. The church has a hard time with this. It even did in the early church. Even in the second century, there was already a clergy-lady distinction. There was already this priesthood, separate people, a different class, and the regular believer. It didn't take long for the believers in the New Testament time to see and to be clouded and to see that there is something humanly in an institution that goes on here, or should be. But there's dangers to this, and we need to be very, very careful as we consider this in our own lives. One is we fail to approach God ourselves. I once had somebody come, and I, I totally understand this. I do. I do not. Don't, someone came and said their dog had just died. A single person lived with their dog. Their dog was their baby. Their dog was their, <laughs> their, dog was their baby. And they asked if I would bless the ashes so the dog would go to heaven. Okay? And I thought, well, why me? You can ask anybody to do that. I'm not talking about the question. I'm talking about the, he came to me. He saw in me vested some sort of authority because I was the pastor of the church instead of seeing that he too as a believer in Christ, even a baby believer in Christ, was a priest that he had a role, and that he had authority. We fail to point people directly to God. We say, oh, something's, oh, that's not, go see Pastor Adam. Go see one of the elders. They're going to have a good answer for you, as if by voting us in, we suddenly have information from heaven that nobody else has. We don't take it upon ourselves because it's our authority. We don't say, how can I pray for, oh, let me pray for you right now. Let me tell you what God's word says about your plight. You should go see someone else. We don't serve where God is calling us because we don't think we're qualified. We don't speak when God is moving us to speak because what if I say something wrong? You have been given authority by virtue of who you are in Christ. Take that authority Hold that authority with responsibility and accountability, knowing that one day we're going to stand before Christ and have to give an account. We're not going to be able to stand there one day and say, I didn't know. I didn't know. You are a priest by virtue of God's calling on your life as a child of God. Christ's sacrifice for you has what has made you a priest unto him. In the Spirit's indwelling, it gives you power to live out your calling. Now, I've heard people say, call seminary cemetery. It's where pastors go to die. You know, it's like the place where you once thought you knew everything perfectly. You go there and suddenly everything gets thrown into question. There's certainly some truth to this. I think there are times that you go to seminary and you have this idea that suddenly the more you study, the more godly you become. And there's this distinction that's made among those who know and those who do not. Books are important. How long you've been a believer are important. All of these things can be good, but if it's done with the wrong heart and not embracing the authority that Christ has given you as a priest, 
It's meaningless. I'll take it a step further. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. These are not a justification for your responsibility to represent God. These, I cannot come in here and say, well, I have a master divinity. And because I do, I know better than you because I know what the Greek and Hebrew says. Sometimes the, digger we, the deeper we dig, the more questions we have. It's one of the things I found out studying. I wanted to learn the original languages so I knew what the Bible really said. And then when I learned the languages, I realized I don't know what it says. Because that is not where the authority resides. The authority resides in Christ and in us because he is our high priest. Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, is our high priest. Let us home firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, Yet he did not sin. I don't know about you, but there have been passages, verses I've read, this verse where it says, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And I don't know why I just read this right now and it hit different. This says empathize. So why did the translator choose empathize? I think because the point is, is that Jesus can literally relate to us. Sympathy is one person standing on this side, looking at the plight of someone else and saying, that stinks. I'm really sorry you're in that position. Empathy says, I've been there before. I really know what this feels like. And we have a high priest who can empathize with us, who has stood in our shoes in the most comprehensive way. Think of your sin. Think of your temptation. What have you been tempted with? Christ has been tempted. Personally, as a man, I would read through the scripture and I would say, well, where was Christ tempted sexually? I don't see that. He can't relate to me there. Let me tell you, a man in authority who speaks with confidence and truth, he was tempted in this way. It says, tempted in every way, yet without sin. And if that's true for me, it's true for you, whatever it is that you're being tempted with. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In the Greek, I can tell you this, that in our time of need is an idiom that says, in the nick of time. Just when you need it. God does not give you what you need exactly when you think you need it. He gives it to you in the nick of time. You have to trust him. We have access to God through Christ, through grace. That means we didn't earn it. That means we didn't pass a test. Faith alone made us right before God in Christ. And it's because of him that we stand there. That we can enter the throne room. Come charging in. Lord, I need this. And he welcomes us. So what does that mean for GBC? This community of priests. One is we all have a responsibility and a calling to serve the Lord here in the church, in our homes, in our communities. And there's an expectation by your fellow believer that this is true as well. There are not those Christians who have been saved and then those Christians who have been saved and serve Part of our responsibility as priests of Christ, which is not optional. When you are saved, you become a priest in this priesthood. Could you imagine that? I mean, imagine the Old Testament. Sons of Aaron, sons of Levi, they're the priesthood. One day grows up, you're going to be a priest. No, I don't really feel like it. I want to have all the perks, but I don't want to do any of the work. 
That whole slaughtering of animals thing? Oh, I don't know about that. We all have a responsibility to be serving one another in love. And they should expect it from you. That's what makes us part of the body, that we can look to one another and say, I don't have what I need, you have what I need. The way you serve me is by sharing, praying, working with me, all of these things. We have a responsibility. We carry the authority of Christ. Ministry by a non-staff or board member is as important and potentially God-given than a visit from me or a call from the elders or anyone else. I do not say this because I want to shirk responsibility as your pastor. I say this because you have a responsibility too. There are people that are hurting in our church. There should be. I'm hurting sometimes. After church on Sunday, this is your time. What's going on with you? How are you? Fine. Oh, I'm fine. Good week. The house is on fire. You just got fired. You hate life. You're getting sued and the IRS called. I don't know. You know what I mean? But everything's fine. We should come to church and say, how you doing? My life's on fire right now. Don't you ever come to church sometimes? I'm just thinking about this week. I, this is not in my notes. I'm liable to say something stupid here. Don't you ever come to church and feel like we're just a bunch of dead people here? Don't you ever come and say, where is the life? The joy? As a recovering addict, I go to meetings and I sit in a group with other people. And there was a man who shared this illustration. He said, when I come to meetings, it feels like a reunion of people who were on a plane that was going down. There was sure and certain death, absolute mechanical failure. But we lived because some guy in row 15C got up and said, I'll land the plane. When we get together, does it feel like a bunch of survivors? When we get together, does it feel like I, we almost died? And you know what? We're liable to still die now. I think that's the issue. Our urgency is once we're saved, we're saved. Thank you, God, Lord Jesus. Thank you that we're saved. But we say, oh, that was close. I'm good now. What if sinning against the Lord today, what if not living your best life for him because that's what he called you to do were as serious as physical death? And every time we came to church, we said, I do not want to do this to him. I do not want to live my life apart from his absolute everything that he gave me. Stepping into my complete calling in Christ, not being motivated by my fears, self-centeredness, I can't raise my hands because I'll look foolish. I put a lot of emphasis on this hand-raising thing. It's just a thing. But it's motivated here. There's something here. There's something here. I don't know about you, but when I come to church, I want to say, man, we almost died. We almost died. And that guy, Christ, he saved us. Now, how would our church look if we lived like that? And every day when we got up and we said, Welcome to Grace Bible Church, let me pray a prayer of invocation. Lord Jesus, we, we pray that you're here. In walks the guy from 15C. 
How would our celebration look? If the man who saved us stood right here, what would we do? I'll do anything. What do you need? Anything. Yet we make it this abstract thing. I was theoretically lost. I was theoretically, for those of you who ever have the time, you should read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He goes off, talks about the fact that we were just dangling over hell and there was nothing that God had to do to just let go. We had every right to let go. Yet he chose to keep us and save us. Now, how does that impact our lives today and our calling as priests? Everything we do is on his behalf because everything he did was for us. Yet we come to church on Sundays, we dress up because that's the right thing to do, then we go about the other six days of our week living the other way. The other way. Until Sunday comes again. And then we stuff what's really happening so we can put on a good face because that's what good people do. I have been guilty of that. I've sat there and said, Lord, make me forget this whole week (laughs) and everything I'm carrying so I can get up and preach and no one will know. No one will know. Our priesthood is spiritual. Two, sorry, we took a detour. Two, we are set apart by God. That means we are chosen. He says that we are a chosen priesthood, a chosen people. Throughout the scripture, again and again, Israel was chosen. Abraham was chosen. Noah was chosen. Jesus was the chosen one. You're God's chosen people. We are a chosen priesthood by God's sovereign election. Why? Because he loves us. Why? I don't know. We're going to do a whole 15 sermons on love, and I have no answer for why. I don't know. Because he loves us. It's who he is, and he wants to. He's chosen us. He set us aside. It says, by grace you've been saved through faith. By grace. By grace. God's sovereign. That one is mine. I'm taking him or her. I'm taking them. They're mine. And then in verse 10, so that we can do good works that he created before. Did you know that the works that you are doing today, the good deeds, the conversations, the giving, the volunteering, the helping, the listening, all of those, those were ordained. Listen, those mundane things were planned before time existed. That you specifically, by name, would walk in them according to God's will and plan. We wake up in the morning, Lord, what's next on the journey? What do you got for me today? I know today you've planned something that's been planned for eternity. Show me what it is that I might walk in it and walk in that true calling instead of dealing with the garbage that we deal with 90% of the time. Part of me, my spirit craves the life that my eyes are open. Thank you, Lord, I'm awake. Thank you, Lord, I'm alive. My feet hit the ground. Now what? And at every step of the way, asking the Lord, is this what it is? Tell me what you want. Let me live like that. But our hearts get in the way. 
Not only are we chosen, we're royal. We're a kingdom of priests. There's a word in French, debonair. I could, they say it better than I do, the French missionaries over here. But I'm close enough, debonair. It means of good heritage, of good stock, good breeding. Now, that's used in a very humanly sense, especially like in medieval times where you're talking about people who are like lords and ladies, and then you had just people like me, the peasants, you know. Spiritually speaking, you are debonair. You belong to a spiritual family of the highest order. You are children of the king. Princes and princesses in the spiritual kingdom of God with all of the rights and responsibilities that come with it. Why do we dabble in this kingdom here? When we belong to the greatest, perfect kingdom, we're holy. We've been purified by the blood of Christ. I've used that fine china illustration. The day that you accept the Lord Jesus and you get saved, you are taken out of one realm and placed in another. In the terms of dishes, you go from a paper plate to fine china. What's crazy is, is that God loves to use a paper plate. God loves a paper plate, but it's his paper plate. This is my special paper plate. This I've declared perfect and holy unto me and for my purposes. That is you and your life. That is the reality of who you are. When you live from day to day, valuing what the world values, sinning the world's sins, living out of the flesh, doing everything you know that the Lord does not want you to do, you are living in a way that is contrary to reality of who you are. You are somebody else. You are living somebody else's life because God sees you by virtue of what Christ did for you as his perfect, special, set-apart child. One day when we get to heaven, the reality that is in heaven will match the reality that is here. I said this before. I hope I have abs. We're special. He loves us. We're his possession. Unconditionally. So what does this mean for how we view ourselves in GBC? How do you embrace your set-apartedness? Or do you resist it? I often say in my heart, what are they going to think of me? What are they going to think of me? Maybe your heart, well, I'm too busy. Maybe you say, I don't want there to be any expectations in me. Can't I just come to church and go without getting asked to serve? What if your service was prayer? Can you do that? What if you walked into the church building on Sunday morning and said, okay, God has people that he wants me to pray for. I'm going to find those people. How's your day? How's your week been? It's good. No, really, how's it? I'm actually struggling. I've been thinking a lot about X, Y, and Z. Wow, yeah, I've thought about that too. Can I, pray for, can I pray for you right now about that? Yeah, now listen to this prayer. Lord, please bless this person and give them wisdom to address X, Y, and Z. Amen. 
Because you are a priest and you have authority, that's all you have to say. There is not this highfalutin language that I, I struggle with because I want to get up and sometimes I just go off automatically. The simple prayer of a righteous person availeth much. Simple prayer, that's all you have to do. As a church, are we seeking to be too much like the culture in order to reach it? This is dangerous. It's always that possibility. I don't think that's the church the case with our church here generally, but there is certainly a way that we have to strike a balance. Taking the eternal truths and packaging them in today's wrapping so people can hear it because they're speaking a different... Anyone who has kids knows that they're speaking a different language than what we speak in here. No cap. Okay? I got one thumbs up. Okay. That means no lie. No lie. Okay? They're speaking a different language. We need to speak in their language. Do we think we're special by virtue of something? That we are or have, or are we, and we downplaying our set-apartedness? In other words, are we saying, ugh, the world out there is crazy. I'm so glad we have our oasis here at Grace Bible Church of perfect people. I see you laughing. I know who that is. Three, we represent God. A representative has delegated authority. When I was in the Navy, we stood watch. Watch is like half of what you do in the military. It really is, especially on board a ship. Fires were very serious to wooden ships hundreds of years ago, and so it created a culture of fire watch, that there were people who stood on call all the time. And there's a person on board a ship called the officer of the day or the command duty officer, depending if you're out to sea or on board a ship. That person represents the commanding officer at all times. So if you are out doing whatever or you're in trouble and the officer of the day gets called, it might as well be the commanding officer standing before you. Do you realize that you have delegated authority? That when Christ left, our high priest, standing before the Father, interceding forever on our behalf, started his ministry there in heaven, that he left us here and said, take charge. Take charge. When we go to people, we declare the things of God. When we pray with them, when we state a Bible verse, when we're trying to give them some truth about who they are and who God is, it's as if the commander is speaking. It is not as if we are speaking. Sometimes we hold back on what should be said because we say, I don't want them to think I think this, <laughs> even though we do. We should be saying, this is what the commander says. This is the one who's given us authority has said. And be unafraid to declare it. We fail to embrace our delegated authority in our lives all the time and the sins that we constantly struggle with. We say it's, we're powerless. This is as good as it gets. I know some of you have said that. There have been times in my life, my Christian life, well, I guess this is my cross to bear. Then the Holy Spirit like punches me and then I'm like, okay, I get it. The power of our prayer. What's my little old prayer going to do? We carry the message of the gospel to others in a way that this excludes our authority or the way we care for our brothers and sisters. 
With this authority, we are to represent God before others. And we do this in several ways. We represent him in our praise. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, that's the one we're going through. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession right here, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We declare the praise of his holiness, that he is perfect and pure truth. We declare the praise of his love and that God loved the world so much that he sent his son. And not only that, that God loved you that much. We declare his power and what he's done in the past. We declare his mercy and how he showed it to us in Christ. Verse 10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy but now you've received mercy. Do you realize that? There was a time in your life when you were not being shown mercy by God. That standing under the wrath of God, the judgment of God, there was a time that it was true. Because of his great love for you, he called you into his kingdom. We exalt God's standard when we speak and declare this mercy, we exalt God's standard and show how f- bad we fail to meet it. And point to Christ's mercy as the source of our new hope in life. We talk about how things were, what happened in Christ, and how things are now. There's power in our testimony when we declare the praises of God. There's power. You have no idea the power that you wield in telling your story. You have no idea. Like I said before, Revelation says we defeat the beast. Word of the testimony, blood of the Lamb. Christ's salvation in our lives and the way we tell that to others has power. Has power. We represent God in our actions, words, and values. As priests of God, the tone for our ministry should be set by Jesus Christ. We take his lead. What we value, how we speak, how we live our lives, says a lot about the God that we serve. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When we value worldly things, do you realize that it tells other people who are watching that either we're hypocrites and we don't believe what we say we believe. God says we should live this way and then we do something else. Or that God is okay with what we value. I think of a young believer. Well, If God says that it's okay to buy that car and to wear that jewelry and to wear those suits and to live that job and to go on these vacations and to have those houses and to do all these things, then it must be okay. We represent God when we speak his word. People often ask us for counsel. Try not to tell them what you think. (laughs) Tell them what God wants. Tell them what God says. We have a responsibility as priests of God to be speaking God's word, standing in the center between a holy God, Christ, and a world who's lost. Those who don't know, even our brothers and sisters who are not lost, we still stand in that intercessory position. How are we doing this individually, in GBC as a whole? Are we representing Christ well? When someone walks in, do they see a picture of the kingdom of God? Last night, Lane and I went and saw the great divorce at um, the Mac. And I was just struck. I just really enjoyed it. I've read the story. I got to see the play now. It was really a powerful. I mean, I left. She asked me. She said, are you okay? 
Like, I feel like I'm about to cry. Something's happening. Like, I don't know. Something about when those who were saved in heaven wearing a white robe stood there, and it was just like nothing on earth mattered. They were just so absolutely themselves. They were realer than they could ever be without any trappings of deceit, masks, cultural mores. They were just them. I thought, I cannot wait. God's calling us to do this now as a representation of who he is when we enter this church. When people come here, they should see people who are I say the phrase all the time, it makes people uncomfortable. Butt naked honest. Standing before others saying, this is me, it's not perfect, but Jesus. But Jesus. Finally, number four, we offer spiritual sacrifices. What does that mean? We don't have animals to sacrifice, so what is it? Christ has already been sacrificed once for all, so what do we do? How do we do that? First, we offer a spiritual sacrifice of prayer. Prayer is a very, and perhaps our most important spiritual sacrifice. Scripture says, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. When we pray, we are making a sacrifice to the Lord. Set times of prayer, I don't know about you, challenging for me. It's really hard to set aside things that I want to do to get time alone with the Lord because it's supposed to be. It's a sacrifice. That's the point. It's a sacrifice. When we pray, we make intercession for others. When we pray, we're to pray for people however they have, God has led us to do so. Like I said, this is all of our responsibility because we are all priests. The second sacrifice is sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus. Therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, fruit of lips that openly profess his name. We all have so much to be grateful for that we do not share with anyone else. Why? One, we don't think we have anything to be grateful for or focus on all the negative stuff. Or two, we don't want to talk about it. We don't share it enough. If God is so good in your life, and he is, tell people, (laughs) tell people. Sacrifice of good works, Hebrews 13, 16, and do not forget to do good and to share with others with such sacrifices. God is pleased. Every time you do a good work to somebody, you set yourself aside, you do something out of love and faith on their behalf or the behalf of the Lord, it is a sacrifice with which God is pleased. Philippians 4.18, I've received full payment. This is Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. They sent money and stuff to him while he was um, uh, away. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, these gifts, money, things, are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now, no, good works don't get us into the priesthood. Good works are the natural outcome of our priesthood. We serve because of who we are. Ultimately, God wants one very little thing from you. It's very simple. Very one little thing. Everything. Everything. God wants our very lives. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your true and proper worship. So what does this mean for us? Are we a praying church? It's my prayer. It's my vision that after church is over and I see everybody turning one to another 
and talking about their day. There's visitors here and there's people interacting that there are heads bowed. That everywhere I look, there are priests making intercession for their brothers and sisters. That everywhere, you never leave here the same way you came. You come with a burden, you leave with the prayed about burden. <laughs> you leave with someone, addressed, someone addressing that because we have the courage to share it and the willingness in our brothers and sisters to pray about it. Are we serving in ministries and helping others as sacrifices unto God or are we sacrificing to the God of reputation, achievement, control, or tradition? Because that God's getting fed all the time. Why are we doing what we do? Do we wake up every day and the second we open our eyes, lay ourselves on the altar, ready to die? Ready to die. So our points. One, our priesthood is spiritual. Two, we are set apart by God to represent God and to offer spiritual sacrifices. Those are our four points. I don't know about you, but if our church was filled with brothers and sisters who embraced their priesthood and said, you know what, this is my responsibility, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to step out and do that. And that God is leading you and we're obedient. Imagine what this church with just these people could do to the world, to the world for the kingdom of God. That's my prayer. One day, we'll be there. We're doing amazing work. We've done it for a long time. We need to do better. We need to do better. What does that mean? We need to embrace our priesthood and the authority that God has given us. Revelation 1.5, I'll close with this. 1.5b and 6 says this. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father, to be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's lots of ways that we can serve. And one of those ways is to answer the cause, God's call to do mission work, particularly overseas. God calls certain people to bring the message to other people, groups, and other places. And we're so blessed this morning to have um, Dave and June Sparks here. These are old-timers, man. These are like the OGs of Grace Bible Church right here. And they are going to come up and share how they are living out their priesthood in Australia um, as missionaries with navigators. Uh, you have a microphone right there. Why don't you come on up and tell us what God's doing with you. Is this on? Yep. Uh, first of all, it's a, it's a joy to be here. And um, I guess it's, it's just really good to hear um, just the talk. Last week, hearing the word discipleship just brought joy to our hearts. Um, talking about the, the um, you know, us as believers and um, pew ministry of, of us to each other and then also our ministry to the people outside of the church, outside of our, um, you know, family here. Um, and that's really what, what we are on about in Australia um, and, and what we've done for 30 years now. It's hard to believe. And um, yeah, I think the thing that, that uh, I would just like to say just, just in response to the sermon is just to think about as 
as the priesthood of believers, we have two jobs. One is to bring people to God, and the other is to bring God to people. And both of those we do in, in, in those ways, through prayer, uh, through sharing the word, um, through living out our faith in just our daily um, interactions, in our daily um, service, and what we um, do for people and with people, praying for and with people, so it all comes together. And um, so a lot of what we do isn't anything that anybody else couldn't or shouldn't do. Um, but it's, it's great when we share what we're doing because uh, with each other because we spur each other on. Um, and, and we learn how to share better um, in truth and love um, so that more people hear the gospel. And we know that the Spirit is at work the whole time. And where we leave off, he's got someone else's place to begin. And, and uh, where they leave off, we may be beginning. You know, we may be talking to someone whose grandmother has been praying for them for years. And, and we're just getting in on the act. Um, and so it's good for us all to be in that mindset. Like June said, we've been in Australia uh, for 30 years. We moved there first in 1992. As you saw that picture there uh, with a little baby, that was Heather, four months old when we moved to Australia. The previous picture was, Heather was in that picture, and our son and his wife uh, as of now. It's amazing just how God has worked. We were in Melbourne for 13 years and then moved to Sydney in 2005. Been ministering this whole time with the Navigator Ministry, reaching out to ordinary Australians within the local community. Also, the thing that... They, Sorry, let me just start that over again. I'm always doing this. I'm not an upfront person, but I'll share something else a little bit later about that. But uh, the Navigator's ministry in Australia is really there reaching ordinary Australians within the local community, alongside churches, but as well within the military ministries, in workplaces, and on university campuses. Our goal is always to point people to Christ. To help them come one, clo one step closer to who Christ is and to have uh, developed their relationship deeper with him. We work mainly through one-on-one -on -one and small group meetings. Those who receive Christ or already know him are discipled in how to reach out to their network of friends and families to start the next generation of spiritual generation of workers in the Lord's harvest. Over the last two years, it's been, there's been lots of changes happening there. That national office has gone virtual, and now all of our office staff work out of their homes. This process took five months so I could make sure all the software talked to each other. Thank you for your prayers for the work I did to move all this onto the cloud. Most recently, I've been transitioning away from IT administration, training up others to manage the website, 
donor-based data, and account accounting for the mission. The other part of my work is discipling others to reach their friends, co-workers, and family for Christ, coming alongside and coaching them in the everyday stuff of living as a Christian in their work life, school life, marriage, and parenting. Uh, Adrian and Louise started in Bible study with us back in 2006. And um, since then, besides Bible study, we've uh, met with them individually to encourage them and challenge them in their day-to-day -day life and their walk with God. And we've seen their heart for God grow um, and, the, and their heart for the lost grow as they reach out to their family and their friends more and more. Um, Three years ago, Adrian became a key person in a newly formed group, gathering early in the morning at a restaurant close to where they all work. Even job moves hasn't changed Adrian's focus as he continues to live out the gospel, keeping up with some of his former co-workers while looking for opportunities to share with new ones. Um, it's been amazing watching them grow in faith and service for the Lord and just becoming more bold too, and, and just sharing honestly uh, their life. Um, I've had a broad ministry across our neighborhood seizing opportunities to meet, form, and deepen relationships with neighbors, always with an eye to spiritual conversations, but also I've learned a lot about um, being able to be prepared to speak out for the hope that's in me because uh, you get opportunities with sort of random opportunities with random people, and then, and then when the next one comes along, you, uh, you need to be prepared. What's the next step I'm gonna say? What's the next thing I'm gonna introduce to them that moves them one step closer to Christ? Um, within the church we attend, I lead a women's Bible study. It's very multicultural. Um, that's just, you can see it there. <laughs> um, and that has helped me a lot because our neighborhood is the same. Um, it's very multicultural. And so as I lead and I learn from, from the women in my group, it helps me with even reaching out to my own neighbors. Um, one challenge we've seen to the gospel has been the continuing cultural shift towards a more and more secular society in Australia, um, bringing stricter rules for our Navigator campus clubs on, on the university campuses. On top of that, COVID lockdown stopped face-to-face on-campus student ministry. But um, COVID has also had positive effects because it sped up the use of technology to communicate across borders, even though all, schooling all went online. Um, so we've seen the international student staff stay connected, encouraging students in their faith while they were stuck either in their home country or some were stuck in Australia, they could bring food to them and things because uh, they were really stuck for a little while. And uh, recently, Navigator on Campus Ministry has relaunched um, just from March this year. And we just had a text this, um, this week that one of the guys that had been discipled through the military ministry just got baptized this week and was um, sharing his testimony with you know, his broader uh, group of friends. Another challenge is that many of our staff are hitting or have already passed retirement age, and we're working hard to recruit, especially the 20 to 35 age group, 
to take up the baton. Um, and just in June, we met six new um, newer staff that are that are in the process. Some are in the process of raising their support. They're all already working, um, and it's really exciting to see they're really keen and they're sharp uh, men and women that are uh, that are committed to Christ. Even our hobbies are serving the gospel. June has integrated her love of music with ministry, joining the Joyful Noise ukulele band, an outreach of our church, and also a lot of fun and fellowship. As I've shared before, I'm an introvert. I'm more happy to sit in front of a computer than going out and spending time uh, around a lot of people. But we all need to integrate our lives with what we love doing. I have, in, I have integrated my ability as a handyman to be a great help to our neighbors. I also have found that when I do a woodworking project in the garage or gardening out in the front lawn on a Saturday, I can catch someone that's walking by and say hi. Does it stop with one high? I have to keep an eye open over the time I'm out in front to try to catch him again and say hi again and try to start up a conversation. That's how I can, we can build relationships with people. So spiritual conversations can be taken a step further with them. It's all through God's help, but relationships with people is one of the key of building spiritual uh, generations for, for the future. In addition to the prayer request that you see up on the screen, please uh, pray that God would meet our additional monthly support uh, need that we have. And we want to thank you, the people here and Grace Bible Church, your partnership with us and how you have supported us over so many years. We would love to talk with you after the service. So just catch us. Plus, as well, I'll mention that if you, uh, we, we've got uh, an Australian newsletter that June actually helps produce. And also, if you, you can have these. And as well, you can get our magnet that you can throw up in your uh, fridge. It's got our email address on there if you want to communicate with us. Thank you for this time. Let me pray for you. Now, the, the newsletter is in Australian, so she is a translator. She's bilingual, so you should be able to explain it. She'd been there so long, June got up, and the first few words were in Australian accent. I thought, oh my goodness, she's making the transition over there. So um, let me pray for you. Father, we, uh, we just ask, Lord, that you would bless the Sparks and their work, Lord. We pray that you would continue to give them opportunity to reach new people. And Lord, that their work with discipling others would, would move them and grow them in such a way, Lord, that um, our brothers and sisters would turn to disciple others, would reach out in their own spheres of influence, and so carry that word out, Lord, as your, as your kingdom grows. 
I pray, Lord, that you would continue to provide for them financially. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless them and their family as, they, as it's getting larger. We're thankful, Lord, for uh, the marriage of their son and their new daughter-in-law. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would just do these things for your glory and that others would see uh, the sparks lives and know the good God that saved them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.